You're listening to Let's Talk AI. Okay, so welcome to Let's Talk AI. Uh, today's guest is Ali Ayub. Welcome, Ali. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to the workshop. Oh, sorry, podcast. <laughs> no worries. Uh, glad you could be here today. So Ali's focus is assistive robots, but uh, you know, who is Ali? Ali's uh, background here for us. Um, Ali's a postdoctoral fellow here in the Searle Lab at the University of Waterloo. Ali, maybe you could tell us a little bit further, you know, how did this all start for you? AI, you know, uh, everyone seems to be into it today, but obviously you got going some years ago. So how did it all start? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. Um, well, for me, I think it started during my undergraduate studies and uh, that was back in Pakistan. So I'm originally from there. Um, and uh, it actually started with like a small course and we were working on like a small robot, designed it the algorithm for like a line following kind of very simple uh but that really got me going um into like ai and robotics and then i think after that i just focused my courses around that uh went for my master and phd um at penn state um yeah towards a and you know focusing on ai and and then obviously i'm here now and how long have you been uh, here at, at university of waterloo uh, actually, I uh, so I graduated from my PhD um, in May 2021, and I joined here in July 2021. Right after that, yeah, I got a small oh. break. Okay, so this is uh, really recent. Uh, recent, you've joined our team here. So this this, this high level yeah. category, assistive robots. What's that? What's that title mean? What's that all about? Yeah. So assistive or I would start maybe with the assistive technology in general, is just any kind of um, technology, machine, that can help uh, complete or uh, any kind of tasks uh, for people maybe that might have disabilities or, um, you know, older adults in general with, um, like, tasks of daily living. That's, like, I would say is, like, a very high-level uh, definition of assistive technology, and if you add a robot in that, then... Well, the robot will be doing that particular task. Um, and as an example, it can go from, say, um, uh, I don't know, like someone who maybe have like a very um, assistive kind of wheelchair, uh, uh, which can drive you around in a more socially acceptable way. Or it could also be like a household robot that, you know, maybe set up a table for your breakfast or cleans the table after you're done. Uh, with your breakfast tasks and stuff like that, which is what I am interested in, the second part. So, Okay, yeah. well, that, that gives a little better focus here. I mean, we, we've we seen way too many um, Hollywood movies with uh, evil AI robots. So, um, you know, m maybe that term there, robot, what, how broader is it now than we would perceive from the past? Oh, they, that term right now is just extremely broad. Like, even like, um, there are robots that can start from like small, very, very small robots to like um, big industrial size uh, robots that can even operate outside in the wild and stuff like that. So the term robot has, I would say, has adapted a lot. And the ones that we see in the movies that might be very, very, very specific and probably not, well, possible right now either. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say like um, the ones in the movies that people have the perception they're evil and everything. I well, at least our lab and me, we don't work on that. We're working on assistive robots that can help. Okay. So, okay. So yeah. you talk about yeah. your lab, the the S I R R L Searle Lab. What's that lab about? And yes. then we're gonna we're gonna dig down deeper and find out your role in that lab. Of course, yeah. So Searle, it's actually a social and intelligence robotics research lab. So as the name says, it's the research will be about intelligent algorithms and obviously the social aspect of that. So the lab kind of works on the algorithm design, maybe AI, maybe ML side of it some of it sometimes. Um, but the algorithms are designed not in isolation of, say, um, humans, but for the applications so that these can be applied on robots that will operate around us and for us. So, for example, uh, applications like um, uh, helping people with dementia or, um, or in this case, like older adults in their households. So those are like some main areas in the lab. Um, focusing on older adults, um, uh, specifically helping them in like assistive home kind of scenarios, and like I said, um, uh, people with dementia, in particular children with dementia. So those are, like I said, two big um, areas in the lab. Yeah, and then there are small other. You talk areas. about assistive help. Is this something to help them get out of a, ch help them to get out of a chair or get out of bed or help them feed themselves or? Give us some idea. What does that mean, assistive, though? Like, what are they assisting with? Yeah, so um, for the, for example, uh, the help with, say, children with dementia, that's mostly social aspect of that. That's mostly um, sometimes is a conversation, perhaps even helping them um, uh, do particular tasks, but usually through, like, social interactions. Um, and... Uh, there are multiple postdocs and like some PhD students working on that. Um, but on the older adult side, uh, where it's about helping the older adults in their households, that can now vary depending on a social interaction where the robot can just simply interact with them um, and, you know, ha help them uh, perhaps by just talking to them, interacting with them, maybe suggesting some uh, things or like an intervention could be the case. Or actually physically performing the tasks. Um, so for example, um, just like I mentioned before, like like tasks of daily living. Oh, let's just clean up this uh, table for you. Let's just set up uh, tables for breakfast. Let you let us fetch you a object that you're interested in. I don't know, I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like, oh, can you bring me some, I don't know, um, like can you set up the table in front of me for coffee or something or cereal? And sure, the robot will go get a cereal, get a uh, milk and bowl and spoon and yeah, so that's like you know um, you're designing an AI algorithm that understands all of these things that can actually reason on that and then obviously be able to help the human um, in the household, which is like an older adult in this scenario. So yeah. So it sounds like these are voice-activated type uh, interactions. Well, yes, most, well, ma yeah, many of our, many of the robots that we work with, um, there are voice-activated interactions, um, but um, there also can be through, like, a graphical user interface, um, so it can be either or, um, depending on the application as well, um, and also 
generally it's easier to actually do GUI based interactions than the voice based because it's just because um, there can be a lot of errors um, okay. in that yeah yeah so particularly I actually focus more on the GUI based interactions um, okay so well, let's let's get let's get the spotlight on yourself here so you're part of this SI RL the Searle lab I think you said previously there's about 20 researchers in the lab there yes uh, what yeah. is your role what, what are you doing specifically we put the spotlight on Ali here yes of course um, well so like I said I'm one of the postdocs there they're actually uh, right now there are five postdocs um, in the lab and um, my role in the lab is uh, well more of a as a researcher um, particularly so conducting original research um, and then uh, mentoring some master and PhD students as well so um, currently, I'm mentoring like uh, two master students in the lab and one PhD student with their research. Um, that also is related to my main area of focus as well. Um, so that's currently the role uh, that I have in the lab. Um, and your yeah. and your focus is what? So my focus, yes, my focus particularly is like as a broad broad term is assistive robots. Um, and if you want to go further down, that would be household assistive robots. And within that, um, it would be about actually long-term deployment of these household assistive robots. And for that particular scenario, for long-term deployment, I work towards um, lifelong learning um, algorithms or computational architectures that can allow these robots that are going to operate in our homes um, to be able to adapt to our needs and our preferences and our environments over time because, well, all of these things are going to change. My needs can change, my preferences can change, and obviously my environment itself could change um, over time. So that's really the main focus of my research. Yeah. So when you say lifelong learning, is that for the robot or for the person? For the robot, yeah, for the robot. Because for the robot is supposed to assist, for example, like I said before, um, making breakfast. So say I start with, um, you know what, I like cereal today. And perhaps the robot knows how to do that. But later, after, I don't know, a month, I just get bored with that. I want to change the cereal. Or maybe I can completely change the breakfast itself. Um, so now the robot has to adapt and be able to understand, okay, well, what is the new thing? And that's really what I focus on, that the robot can learn from the human by interacting with the human for the human. Okay, so I'm going to guess your lab, you don't have, you talked about dementia for seniors and things, dementia for for uh, infants and children, or children, I guess. How do you actually test that? You're not, you're not bringing them into the lab, I'm guessing. Do you take these out to their place or their facilities? Yes, so... Um... They obviously don't come to the lab. Um, a lot of the times, um, we actually generally have like um, interactions with hospitals or with other care centers, um, and usually we collaborate with them so that we can work um, towards some kind of a solution that can um, where the robot can interact with the person. All during like for example, COVID time, we were not able to go there, so it was mostly online. Um, somehow it was like all the interaction was happening online, but, um, yeah, in general, it would be, 
um, through coordination with those um, institutes. For example, like uh, for the older adult case, we I think we do um, collaborate with the Aging Institute um, at Waterloo uh, Research at Aging. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like uh, that's generally like the that's generally how we focus on that um, coll collaborating or coordinating with these um, care homes or institutes. Yeah. Okay. So paint for us. You know, get out your your sketch pad here and paint for us a picture of the future. Would, would there be one of these in every home, one per person in every home, one for a family? Like, what, what, what do you think it's going to look like? Um, so, for example... Um, We're all going to have our own little R2... <laughs> R2-D2. We're going to have our own little R2-D2 running around the house? Um, well, that would be perfect. Um, <laughs> actually, so I think... Um, I mean, the, the robot will probably be, it can be more, it can be like a multi-agent problem, like there can be multiple robots in the house, um, depending on the applications, but um, having, I think if, if there is one personalized robot that can do pretty much the task that I need to do, then I believe it will just be one robot in the household um, that can hopefully perform most of the tasks. So like an embodied structure that can move around in the household, that can actually manipulate the, say, things in the house. So, I don't know, pick objects, place objects, move things around a little bit, clean. <laughs> if the robot has all these capabilities, then I think it'll just be one. Um, but looking at the, looking at there are so many other different kind of smaller robots, it could be like a fleet of one big robot guiding smaller ones <laughs> with that. Um, yeah, so that I think that is actually a very viable one, a viable future as well. Where there's like a main robot that um, is more personalized, that can uh, interact with the human, and then maybe others, like a Roomba, for example, could be there, and uh, the main robot could actually guide it. Like, don't just roam around in the house. Go and clean this particular area. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so I th you you did talk about the. Uh the facilities for the aged and things like that. Would you see these in seniors' homes, like a, like a caregiver, the one robot that services, you know, X number of people, or, or, or what's that scenario going to look like? Um, I believe we we are focusing more towards uh, each person particularly. So, like, each person has their own robot. So, like, maybe in their homes. Now, it is possible to work towards robots um, that can perhaps work with multiple people and like I said that would be like that's actually would be one challenge of my research my grand research agenda would be that like to you know the lifelong learning problem so that it can further adapt to multiple users rather than a single user um, but but that that I would say is like a, that would be a much harder problem um, than just one home and one person <laughs> yeah well, no, you mentioned the scenario of uh, you know bring me cereal or bring me coffee or something but we all have our specific ways we like our coffee so you yes. know uh user a may like it with cream and the other one wants it no cream with sugar yes. or something yes so exactly um how difficult is it for it to learn these behaviors so currently um some well uh, one of the difficulties i could start with that uh one of the difficulties um, is first of all how can the robot sense so which means using well, mostly it is from the camera so how can the robot first of all 
um, using its camera detect all of these objects correctly. Now that's a very difficult task on its own and a lot of the times it's just it can either miss the objects within wherever they are and it can either misclassify them so that would be pretty disastrous when the robot thinks a book is a serial and I've seen that happen in one of my <laughs> in one of my projects it actually happened or it said serial is a book and I was like okay well I'm <laughs> so <laughs> that is like one of the big difficulties uh, already uh, from the sensing point of view and once you have sensed correctly then it starts towards okay um, now how can I encode this information and then be able to I guess learn some useful something useful out of that to be able to understand the relationship of say for example a cereal with a um, breakfast um, so as an example I always start with this um, as like uh, like I always explain this uh, scenario of say picking up or making a breakfast kind of scenario is like okay the robot first has to understand the objects, which is the cereal. Then it has to understand where can it find the cereal. Okay, perhaps in the kitchen. Where in the kitchen it can find the cereal. Okay, perhaps on the table. And then it has to understand, okay, how can I navigate to the kitchen? And uh, then from there it has to navigate it back, bring it to the person. Um, and that's all happening still for just one particular task. Um, and then it's just like, and then the interesting part then becomes is like once we make it a lifelong learning problem, which means now the robot has to be able to adapt while not forgetting the previously learned knowledge, which is a very difficult problem. Actually, we in machine learning, we actually get to this problem called catastrophic forgetting, where if you train machine learning models uh, with new data or new uh, objects in this case, um, it will just forget the previously learned knowledge. And that's a very, very... What does that mean? I've never heard that term. How can a model forget something? Exactly. Because, like, so the model is actually learning most of your information in terms of uh, some parameters, weights, if you want to go in more technical. And uh, once you make the model learn new, say, new knowledge, um, it changes its weights so that it can, you know... And so once it changes more... its weights... Yes. Most of the yeah. more recent data is more yes. important. Yeah, it just gets biased towards completely towards new data or new knowledge, and it just forgets everything from before. Um, so that's a that's a challenging problem already in lifelong learning itself. Um, so like I said, this I just gave you a bunch of problems that can happen within this, and obviously, finally, the challenge is also um, just manipulating the objects like okay, how can I accurately grasp an object, navigate to the right place, and place it? Um, so you, you pick on cereal. Say cereal was sitting on the counter, and, and most cereals have pretty good artwork on the front of them. And it sees the picture of cereal, which is an image of cereal, but it's not cereal. It's cardboard with you know glossy colors on it. How does the robot know the difference between a bowl of cereal and a picture of a bowl of cereal? that exactly like I said um, so if if the bowl is filled with cereal and if the bowl is empty uh, the robot can find that using uh, there are some state-of-the-art computer vision techniques now that you can use perhaps to train some particular kind of model uh, machine learning model that can perhaps uh, detect that 
However, if you have one type of cereal which doesn't look that different from another type of cereal in two different bowls, then good luck. <laughs> or like I said, you know, like a box of cereal, um, it can be easy, easily be a book. <laughs> so, so, you know, if, if you've got uh, uh, AI um, tools in your tool belt, if you want to call them that, it's not, uh, give us a rundown here. You've got computer vision, um, you know, natural language processing. What are those tools that are in your tool belt to do this task? Oh, perfect. Yes. So, so currently for the computational architecture that I'm designing. So the tools that I need, or I guess I have to use, is uh, first computer vision, um, some machine learning tools. Um, I actually do um, use cognitive science, or in term neuroscience. Uh, I try to design my models for any kind of computational model through inspiration from uh, cognitive science theories of learning and memory encoding. So that, um, and then human-robot interaction. Um, and finally, the control theory to actually manipulate and move around. So that's a lot of things. Um, and and the NLP as well, the natural language, like the talk. NLP as well, although I don't really focus on that much, but yes, if, if you you will need that, um, yes. Yeah. And if right you now, have to interact with the robot. Yeah. And right now, I'm guessing all of this is done in English? Of is course, it? yeah. I mean, if I want to move on to something else, that would make another problem <laughs> on top of that. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so lots of opportunities yeah. ahead here, it looks like, for research and development and growth. Oh, yeah. Like like I said, it's like these all these areas that I mentioned, people obviously can work on any of these. And mostly our lab focuses on uh, more so on the AI part, so maybe designing the AI algorithm, not so much on the computer vision or even ML, like pure ML research, uh, but rather using those techniques for developing those computational architectures and the human-robot interaction side. So um, that's where the lab will be in most of my research as well. Excellent. Well, this has been a real eye-opener for me today. Um, I'm looking, uh, want to thank you again for joining us today and Let's Talk AI. Maybe a chance to talk to some of your other colleagues in the, in your lab and uh, learn even more learn even more about assistive robots. Again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Um, it was it was actually a great great talk. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Have a great day then. Yeah. You too. Bye. Bye.